Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. This morning's scripture reading will be out of the book of Job, chapter 7, verse 17. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him? You may be seated. God is good all the time. I really hope you were encouraged last Sunday by the sermons of Lucas and Caleb. I know a lot of times people go, oh, kids these days, and you see all the things and you make all the complaints. And Well, not every generation is perfect, and guess what? Neither is yours. And I'll show you. I'll give you proof. You ready? I went to Kroger on Tuesday. Hard stop. Y'all know what Tuesday is at Kroger, don't you? Senior day. You want to talk about some rude people? Don't go to Kroger on Tuesday. So, you know, your generation isn't the greatest. All hope isn't lost. The future isn't condemned. The thing is, those that make you snarl at other generations, it's because all you see of them are the loudest ones. But last Sunday, you got to see a couple of guys who love the Lord and want to serve Him as best they can stand before you and preach. And that's not always easy, especially when you're uh, as young as they are. So thank you, both of you, for being willing to do that. And again, I hope that you all were very, very encouraged by their presence and by their preaching. I want you to think about your lowest time. It may not have come yet, but you probably have in mind a time that's, that's been very, very hard to get through. For Job, he was living in that time. He had lost all of his children. He had lost all of his livestock, all of his wealth, the majority of his servants, and his physical health was afflicted. He's having to struggle with all that, yet the one question that comes to mind is why if God is good, do bad things happen to good people? Because he is, he is given and presented as a righteous man, blameless in all that he does. Why is he made to suffer like this? And you know, here's the thing. The book of Job never gives that answer. You go throughout the whole book and you have Job and his friends debating back and forth. You must have done something wrong. You must have sinned against God. And Job maintains his innocence in the, in the face of all this. And then you get to the end of the book, and when you have read what Job has said and his friends, I, the first time I read it through, I found myself agreeing more with his friends. But then I get to the end, and God says, you have spoken wrong. Job has spoken rightly. And so I said, i got to go back and read this over again, because I was totally lost on this. But in the midst of all his suffering and grief, one thing that he wants to know from God, what is man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him? And that's what I hope to answer for you today. There used to be a clicker. Bear with me a second. 
I didn't say click, I just said there's supposed to be a clicker. Okay, click. <laughs> um, first of all, man, humanity is made for community. We are not made to be all alone. We're made to have people in our lives. Job had his children, he had his marriage, his wife, and now he has his friends. Remember going back to the beginning where we read that it was not good that man should be alone. And so God asked Adam, Adam, what would you like in a help me? He said, oh, I want a beautiful woman who will adore me, who will cook and clean for me, who will answer my every beck and call. God said, that'll cost you an arm and a leg. And he said, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> Don't groan. Stephanie had a good comeback one time. She said, do you know why God made man first? No, dear, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me. She said, every master artist always begins with a rough draft before his masterpiece. But we are made for community. We're not, we're not made to be all alone. That's how it's been from the beginning. And so uh, what people should find in the church, they often find elsewhere. Fraternities, sororities, social clubs, uh, uh, country clubs, you know, a political party. The community and the camaraderie that they find is meant to be found in the family of God. But, but picture this. Imagine you have gone over to a dinner party or you think it's a dinner party. So you've gone and you're expecting there's going to be food. But instead of a full meal, what you have are a bunch of, oh, you've got my clicker. It's a small. Okay. Thank you, Tyler. This is not my clicker, but it is a clicker. So it'll work. Uh, I was saying something. So you've gone to this party expecting to have some food to get there, and all they have are like the little finger foods, and you're like, I can't make a meal out of this. And so you endure it, and you're going through, and your stum stomach is still grumbling, and so you leave, and you go, I want to go through McDonald's drive through See, you're going one place thinking you're going to get fed, thinking you're going to get full, only to leave hungry. And I wonder how many people, when they come to church, they're thinking they're going to have a family, camaraderie. They're going to have their people, but they leave feeling empty as if they didn't get any of that. I noticed the importance of this uh, when Bree was in basic training. She went through her basic training and then her job training, which they called AIT. And so she had left uh, June, early June, a few years ago, and didn't come back till the week before Thanksgiving. And those first few days, she was odd. She was an odd bird. And so I, we would go and I would talk to her, and you okay? She was having a hard time adjusting because while she was in basic and AIT, you are assigned a battle buddy is what they call them. So you've always got somebody right there. You have an environment and you have structure and you have people that you, they're your people. And so when she got home and it was just mom and dad and brother, not that we didn't count, but it was a huge change and she struggled making adjustment. So first of all, man is made for community. Secondly, I went the wrong way. Secondly, man is created to have faith. Everybody in here has faith. Everybody out of here has faith. It may not be faith in God, but it's faith in something. Some people, their faith is in science. Some people, their faith uh, may be in uh, uh, authority figures, a political party, a politician, God forbid. But everybody has faith. You may not want to say that I have faith in God, per se, 
but everyone has faith. But I want you to note Job's faith in God. Job 13, verse 15, if your Bible is open to that book. Job 13, verse 15. Now consider everything that he's gone through. Lost his children, lost his livestock, lost most of his servants, lost his personal health. And he says, though he slay me, I will trust in him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. There is nothing that can happen to Job on the face of the earth that will cause him to forsake God. Is our faith that strong? Another example of a strong faith like this, you read about in the book of Daniel. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were, they were going to be put in this fiery furnace because they refused to bow down and worship this huge image that, uh, that the king had made. So the king asked the question, who is going to save you from my hand? What God can save you? And they say to him, let it be known to you, O king, that our God whom we serve is able to save us. But if he does not we will not bow down to this idol, even if he chooses not to save me. We will remain steadfast. We will remain faithful. Job's faith wasn't convenient, but here's the thing. Having faith in God sometimes makes these circumstances seem a little bit more difficult. He knew what God's standard of righteousness was, and he lived in tandem with such, and it's unbearable for him when he suffers after dedicating his life to being faithful to God. But still, despite all of it, he has faith in God despite his circumstances and the chastisement of the Almighty. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. How strong is your faith? That's a good question. And we really don't ever know the answer until we're faced with the ugliness of circumstances. A lot of people, they become discouraged, understandably so, and they just up and they walk away from faith. They walk away from the church. They walk away from God, from Christ. And it's because I see this. This is not right. I don't understand it. I thought you loved me. Why is this happening to me? I would only remind you that God himself has subjected himself to the horrors of humanity. His son was falsely accused, stripped, nearly if not totally naked, beaten brutally, and crucified on a cross. We don't have a God, nor do we serve a God that can't understand, but one who actually, in fact, understands. We must, no matter what the circumstances are, maintain our faith. And one of the ways that we do that is by being a part of the family of God. There's a story in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where uh, you have, I think it was the Israelites and maybe the Amalekites, they're fighting uh, a, a battle. And, and up on the, the, the mountain, you've got Moses. And as long as Moses holds his hands up to the heavens, Israel wins the battle. But you can imagine holding your hands up for a long time, right? The blood's not getting where it needs to go. And, you know, you've, you've uh, got that lactic acid, you're, 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 your arms are starting to feel like huge weights. And so his arms start to come down, and so he positions himself between two rocks to keep his hands held high. And even that only works for so long. But then he goes out, and he's got two 
men, two of his brethren, Aaron and Hur, who hold his arms up for him. Sometimes we're so wore out we can't hold up, but we've got brothers and sisters who ought to hold us up and bear it when we can't. There's enough of this tearing one another down. And that should be the least concern of Christians is to tear one another down. Sad thing is, some Christians believe that's their spiritual gift. To do nothing but critique, find fault. Meanwhile, they never look in the mirror. But we need more errands. We need more er hers. H-U-R-S. Brothers who are going to lift you up when the weight is very, very hard. So man is made for community. Man is made... Uh, created to have faith in God, man is not meant to live forever. Nobody likes to think about death. And if you're fortunate enough to not have to think much about it, then you're fortunate. Sadly, a lot of the places where Gary and I and, and others spend our time are hospital, hospice, funeral home. It's, it's a constant presence as part of being a minister but look at Job 14, verse 5. Since his days, speaking of man, since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. God knows the beginning and the end. It's no surprise to him. We don't know it, but God knows it. He knows that timeline. And if you read throughout the book, and the, you don't have to read it, but Job chapter 29 is Job recounting all the blessings that he had in life, all the temporal things. But his most recent days were full of suffering. And so in Job chapter 3, verses 3 through 12, he curses the day of his birth. He has this, this viewpoint that it was better not to have been born than to have gone through what he's going through. Job 3, beginning verse 3. May the day perish on which I was born and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it nor light shine upon it. And on and on and on you read he's lamenting his own birth because of what he is presently suffering. A friend of mine had to go to Texas last weekend because her father, who was 90, was, was uh, failing. And... Uh, he did pass away this week, and I went and, and, and saw her this week just to see how she was doing. And she said, you know, at one point, her dad was sitting in the bed, and he said, I'm supposed to be dead already. You know, this was a guy, he, he knew what was coming, and he was kind of frustrated that he was still around. Uh, and, and you have probably talked to some folks that are like, I, I don't know why I'm still here. But he was frustrated. I was supposed to be dead already. And he was mad about the fact that he was still alive. But Job also lamented his, de uh, his birth. And he knew that life has a beginning point and life has an end point. Now, if you go to any cemetery, I want you to notice this. Uh, someone brought this to my attention. I'd never considered it. When you go to a cemetery, you have a person's name. You have their birth date and their date of death. That dash. What are you doing with that dash? All the years that you've lived, that dash. And what do you read about people on their headstones? Beloved husband. Beloved 
wife. Think about the things you read. I've never seen it, and that's not to say they don't exist, but I've never seen a tombstone that said, multimillionaire. Never seen one that has said, so successful in life. And you know, when people pass by that may not know, they'll go, that person was loved as a son, a brother, a sister, father, whatever the case is. Now, we are living in that dash right now, but God knows what that end date is. So what are you doing in that dash? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for the Lord? Have you made that personal commitment to Jesus? Have you said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Have you repented of your sins? Have you been buried in the waters of baptism to become a Christian, a new creature? And then you go, okay, now let's go live for the Lord. There are too many distractions, way too many distractions. If I were to do this, some of you are going to know what this means. Are you ready? Watch this. Y'all know what this means? You're rolling your window down, right? Y'all remember when we used to do that? I was always on the passenger side. That's why if you're driver's side, you'd be like this, right? I remember it was 90, 92. Uh, I think that was 91, 92. Daddy got a GMC Sierra. And you didn't do this. You pressed the button. And you remember when you would lock the door, you'd go pop or you'd go frick. Well, the button to lock the door was right next to the window button. And when daddy wanted to roll down the windows, he locked the door. And when he wanted to roll the windows up, he would unlock the door. He never got it. He's, oh, I hate these stupid things. And then instead of moving the thing to hot or cold, you had to hold down a button. I thought it was cool. I'm like, we're finally catching up. But dad hated it. He liked it the old way. But as life goes on, there are more bells and whistles, buttons and lights. And it's all a distraction, all a distraction. Some of it can be very wonderful. Uh, it can make life great, but it can also distract you from what's most important. And the most important thing for you and me is if or not we are children of Almighty God. He created us. We wanted nothing much to do with Him. But He continually pursued us through Israel, eventually coming to the earth in the form of his son. We even killed him. But yet he sends out preachers still pursuing us because God loves us. Man is made for community. Man is created to have faith in God. Man is not meant to live forever. Please make the right decision in that dash. Because once that end date comes, it's settled. If you didn't choose right here, you don't get another chance to make the choice. So man is obligated to make an important choice. Job 28, 28, he says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. I want you to understand, even in the book of Proverbs, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. There are about three or, four, uh, three or four Hebrew words that are translated as fear. Uh, one of them is like something happens and immediately you're thrown into a state of, 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 of fear. 
uh, like if a building were to start crumbling or a car crash happens. It's that immediate fear. Then there's another one where you're, you're anxious and you're anticipating something bad is about to happen. And so you, you, know, you get the shakes maybe and you start having uh, 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 very deep labored breaths. But the word that's used here is more like the word when, you know, you're, you, you tell your child, maybe they're small, and you go, don't reach in that candy dish. And haven't you noticed when you tell them don't do something, what do they do? They do it, right? And for some of them will look right at you and do it. But let's say you have a kid that knows they're going to get in trouble. And they go to reach in and they notice that you're over there and so they pull their hand back. It's the awareness that you're there and that there are consequences. That's the word translated here as fear. We fit in a subordinated place because that's how God made us. Our righteousness is nothing but our own doing what God has commanded because our righteousness is not ours. And a lot of times when we are unwilling to yield to the, to the Lord and to His will, we're saying, I know what to do. I know how to be right. And the Israelites did that once upon a time too. And in the book of Isaiah, God said to them, your righteousness is as filthy rags before me. And there's another passage in Romans chapter 10. Look at that one with me. Romans chapter 10, the first three, maybe four verses, Paul is lamenting Israel. And he says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Notice he says they've got a zeal. They are excited. They are doing what they think God wants them to do. But being zealous about it and doing what is according to knowledge, two different things. You may have zeal, but you've got to ask the question, is this what God wants of me? And if it's not, then it doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how zealous you are you got to know what God wants you to do. And that's what you and I have to do. What is man? We are the pinnacle of God's creation because he made us to bear his image. When he made everything, he just spoke it into existence. But when he made man, he contemplated within himself and he said, let us make man in our image. Everything that God created, he created before so that man would be sustained on the earth. When what God offer, offered for man, he offered to save him. So you are God's prized creation. Your value and your worth is not the number that you see on a scale when you step on it, nor is it the number of the size of clothes you wear or the number of money you have in your account. That does not determine your worth. Your worth is determined because God created you. You bear his image. But you have to give yourself back to him. We look at Jesus and we see in Jesus 
how God intended for us to live on this earth without sin. And so when you look at Jesus and you see that, you go, okay, so this is how I live to please God. But you have to begin by obeying. So I invite all of you, if you've not yet made your faith, uh, confessed your faith in the Lord or put him on in baptism, I urge you to do that. If we can study more with you, we'd be glad to do that as well. But if you wish to respond, you can come forward as we stand and as we sing.